The following is an advertisement for PwC. We've all been told what one plus one adds up to. But if you bring together the right combinations of people and technology in unexpected ways to build trust for today and tomorrow, then it can be something greater. At PwC, it adds up to the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at lesliemarshallshow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. you're free on this Friday TGIF. I'm Leslie Marshall and welcome or welcome back to the only true democracy in talk. Thank you for listening to us on stream, on podcast, and also uh, wherever you get uh, your radio, local radio. So you got radio, you got stream, you got podcast. Also, thank you for watching us on Facebook Live, Twitter's Periscope Live, LinkedIn Live, YouTube Live. We got a lot of people out there joining us visually and audibly, and we're very happy to have joining us today International Vice President of the United Steelworkers, the USW, Mr. David McCall. Mr. McCall's career of fighting for fairness and justice for workers began when he was a member of Local 6787 in Burns Harbor, Indiana. And there he worked as a millwright at the sprawling integrated steel facility. Now, he joined the union staff back in 1985. He served as the director of the USW District 1 from 1998 until 2019. And over the course of his career, he successfully fought to preserve thousands of jobs in the steel industry and beyond, not just the steel industry. Mr. McCall currently chairs USW's master contract negotiations with Cleveland Cliffs, Republic Steel, Timken, Graphics Packaging, and others. As always, check out what the USW is doing and find out more. Go to USW.org. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram. Their handle, at Steelworkers. More than a pleasure to have International Vice President of the United Steelworkers, Mr. David McCall, joining us. Vice President McCall, thank you for being with us on this Friday, taking time out of your busy schedule. Welcome, sir. Good to have you with us. Thank you very much. You know, there are people out there that say manufacturing is the backbone of this country. And for a long time, there are those in the United States, and not just those who work in manufacturing, but consumers like myself, who say we need some kind of a a breakthrough, a renaissance with manufacturing. Do you think the United States might just be poised for that? Well, I certainly hope so. I mean, manufacturing supplies all the critical goods we we need and want, and it provides good paying jobs, good family sustaining jobs uh, for the American workforce. And it really is time to pay attention to manufacturing in this country. Without question. You know, people who are part of a union and work for a union like you do, or people that are members of a union certainly know this that manufacturing is the backbone of this country. The middle class built this country. We couldn't have been built without manufacturing. And domestic manufacturing, I think now more than ever with the pandemic that we've been through and continue to go through with the Delta variant, um, we, we see that manufacturing is essential 
for our economy, but also for national security. Do you think there are people out there that just this past year started to wake up and realize the connection between manufacturing and uh, national security? I mean, we saw the nail biting over what would happen if a supply chain was broken and we wouldn't have that if we didn't have such reliance on products from places like China. Yeah, and it's amazing how often that people just sort of jump off the idea of what our supply chain is and how important it is to our national security. I mean, really the pandemic did bring home the fact that when we have broken supply chains, uh, we had losses and shortages of personal protective equipment in the healthcare industry, certainly in medical supplies, even in vials uh, that were needed for pharmaceuticals uh, for the vaccine. Uh, Right now, today, we're still dealing with um, shortages in computer chips around the auto industry. And and I mean, really, the Texas in Texas last year, the electrical grid problems that we had last winter also create shortages now in lots of different goods and consumer goods that are highlighting the importance of our supply chains. And when you talk about national security, I mean, our steel industry uh, supplies steel for shipbuilding, for submarines. We're going to depend on foreign producers for that. That doesn't make sense in terms of national security. Even our military aircraft needs the titanium and the aluminum that we produce in this country. And it's really time that people really wake up and understand that manufacturing sector has really been weakened over the years and over the decades by bad trade policy and lack of attention uh, to meaningful and sound economic growth. And and really, the pandemic really highlighted that, Leslie, last year. If you think about it, in the first quarter of 2020, uh, durable good manufacturing production in this country uh, dropped by 10%. And in the second quarter of 2020, it fell by 58%. And in non-durable goods, goods that we use, uh, you know, whether it's uh, food or paper or whatever, it fell less than 1% in the first quarter, but then dropped by 33% in the second quarter. And then once we started getting the federal stimulus money and the extra unemployment benefits in the latter half of 2020, we really had a turnaround. A turnaround in the third quarter of 2020 and durable manufacturing rose by 98%. And then in the fourth quarter by another 11. And then if you think about non-durable goods in that same period of time, it raised back up 21% in the fourth quarter, another 11. That really justified the need for the stimulus packages that we need and really justifies the attention we need to pay to manufacturing America. You know, before we talk about a little bit more about broken supply chains, something that you referenced, and I'm glad that you said it because it's really just common sense. You know, we are in a sense at war with China, right? A war of words, a war of mistrust, China, we don't know where COVID-19 really came from. Uh, We don't have access to really find that information if we ever will. And we know that China was not forthright in telling us when they discovered uh, the virus. And uh, if maybe we had that information, maybe we could have been perhaps more proactive when it hit our shores. So why would we want to trust any kind of PPE, any kind of personal protective equipment? Why would we want to trust any medical supply? Why would we want to trust any steel coming from, you know, it, 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 not not only other countries, but especially China. Like you said, it doesn't make sense. Um, you know, our steel is going to be better 
We have regulations. We have guidelines that China doesn't. China cuts corners. China doesn't treat its employees properly. I mean, the list goes on. So to your point, if you could talk more about that a little bit, um, I, I think it's an excellent point because it is common sense. Why would we want to get our steel from them? Why would we want it also with relation to uh, COVID-19? Why would we want to get PPE or medical supplies, computer chips, uh, or uh, plastics that you talked about uh, with uh, regard to Texas uh, electrical grid, uh, any kind of consumer good? Why would we want to do that? I think it's important for us to recognize that uh, in many ways, China has this long-term view of of maybe dominance of of uh, manufacturing as opposed to many of our uh, businesses in this country, which take a short term. And I, I'll give us a, a small story. Uh, a, a few years ago, um, I testified before the China Commission uh, in uh, during uh, President Obama's administration. And before I gave testimony about the steel industry and the impact China has on the steel industry. I was able to listen to uh, some testimony from a person who had a small business located in North Carolina. And he and his brothers uh, had developed this business over a couple of decades. And one of their major um, uh, customers was uh, KFC. They made the, the tiles for the KFC stores all around America. And as KFC was starting to expand um, in other parts of the world and into China, uh, they actually uh, invested millions of dollars and really put their business and all their personal assets up to borrow money to expand their business to be able to supply these shakes um, for the KFC stores in China, the hundred stores that uh, KFC was going to build. And during his testimony, he talked about uh, investing all this money in their in their business and that they sent the first, uh, I think it was 50 uh, enough tiles for the first 50 stores that were going to build, be built in China. And China locked the, their delivery up on their docks and wouldn't let them loose until they gave up their, uh, their formula for making these shakes. Uh, well, of course, it was copyrighted. They didn't want to give it up. And uh, as time went on, they finally had to release the, the, form, the formulas that they had for making this stuff. And then the next 50 stores that were built, they were put out of put out of business by a Chinese producer that used their their formula. Uh, a couple of years later, and KFC actually then signed a long-term contract with the Chinese manufacturer. And then uh, in the long term, at some point in time, the Chinese manufacturer raised the price of these sheiks, shakes much higher than what we were making them here in America. And KFC went back to this guy, according to his testimony, and said, look, we, we, we want to break our contract with this Chinese producer and go back into business with you. Well, by that time, he was bankrupt. His company was gone. They had, I think he said that he had, had to lost the 35 to 40 people who had worked full time in his facilities. So well, I hate to interrupt, uh, Mr. Vice President McCall. I, I hate to interrupt. I apologize. We're up against a hard break. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. I'd love you to finish. I want to hear about the story. I'm on the edge of my seat with this one. And we will be back with you and talk more about this manufacturing, COVID, the pandemic, and uh, trade deals that certainly didn't help the sector. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away.
We are back. I'm Leslie Marshall. We are me, your host, and our guest, International Vice President of the United Steelworkers, the USW, Mr. David McCall. Uh, we are talking with him, and like I said, go to their website, usw.org. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram. Their handle is at Steelworkers. Mr. McCall, apologies uh, for Vice President uh, McCall. Uh, apologies for having to interrupt you up against a hard break there. But I I want to hear more about that testimony, um, as you had said that, you know, you had testified before Congress and that business owner, I believe you said North Carolina uh, with the KFC, um, you know, who had a contract uh, not for American products. And, you know, the products weren't as good as, you know, the individuals getting. Uh, please, uh, you know, if you could uh, continue with that story so uh, people can, you know, learn from, you know, others uh, mistakes and experiences. Yeah, no problem, Leslie. And and, and look, it, the story is the end of the story really comes from uh, Chinese forced him to give up uh, his his uh, preferential uh, trademarks. They started competing against him at a lower price. Uh, then after he went out of business and his family's uh, lost their business, uh, according to his testimony, KFC eventually came back to him and said, look, we'd like to rethink about uh, using using your products because the price in China has gotten so high now. And by that time, they were out of business. The, the small business went out of business and and they couldn't supply it. And I, you know, I don't know today who supplies those shakes for KFC, but it's just sort of the the way the Chinese long term does do business. Some of the Chinese businesses do business and it's it's a case where they manipulate currency, they subsidize businesses, they steal trademarks, um, and it's the kind of thing that has to be stopped. And it's the kind of thing that the Biden administration is paying attention to, not just simply talking about uh, tariffs and quotas, but also about real trade policies. And frankly, I'm optimistic about some of the things that have happened uh, in the last six months um, uh, with the new administration. I mean, there's a recent report from the reshoring initiative revealed that more companies are now starting to reshore production because they know there's going to be a fair market for them to be able to compete in. Uh, manufacturings are starting to come back in the United States. Earlier this month, the FTC uh, issued a rule to crack down on fake made in America uh, uh, emblems and symbols and fraud. Uh, which will really help the manufacturers that are doing the right things to uh, be able to compete here in the U.S. And and we're taking we got a president who's taking the need for domestic manufacturing uh, more seriously, and that's important uh, to not only our economy but to American workers who uh, depend on uh, the manufacturing sector. Oh, absolutely. Helps the economy. Helps the consumer, too, because, you know, we, when you buy those five T-shirts for 10 bucks, they fall apart after one wearing and one wash. Um, let, let's let's talk about uh, the, the manufacturing sector. Um, overall, in March and April of 2020, they lost 1.3 million jobs, 900,000 durable, 400,000 non-durable. Although 15,000 manufacturing jobs were added in June, that's still uh, a deficit. They're down 481,000 jobs. Is the manufacturing sector, is the weakening of the sector um, by bad trade policy first? And second, did the pandemic uh, cause the sector to fall more deeply, uh, you know, as a result further? Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, at the end of the day, uh, people didn't have money. Uh, they didn't They didn't have the ability to go out and buy the things. You know, our economy is based uh, 
um, most people say around 75% of consumerism. Uh, and when people don't have money and they can't buy goods and they're laid off or their their uh, jobs are being uh, decimated, whatever sector it is, not just manufacturing, it certainly will will put pressure on the economy. And that's why I said before, it was so important that we got the stimulus packages uh, from the government and the help and the unemployment benefits so that people in the economy could keep rolling along the best it could until until we could develop the vaccine and, and start to return to normal. Um, I think it's important to not just for the supply, the critical supply chain stuff that that we need in terms of uh, uh, President uh, uh, Biden's economic um, agenda, but some of the uh, executive orders that he's put out, uh, the rec- recommendations that have been made uh, about American-made products and closing loopholes, and as I said before, in some of the American-made rules is important. I mean, just in steel alone, if I just take the steel uh, industry alone, uh, issues around uh, melt and pour uh, in products made here in the United States is important. In many cases, uh, countries that don't even have a steel mill all of a sudden uh, from the cheaters in the world will start sending products in through them that are finished goods. And that's the kind of that's the kind of regulations and the kind of oversight that we need. Uh, the federal government has to help protect the manufacturing sector and our economy. Yeah, and I would agree. It is refreshing, you know, um, you know, to have a president who talks about buy American, um, you know, that you know, because he definitely wants to unite this country and not just politicians, uh, you know, uh, left and right, Democrat and Republican. Um, but we're we're also seeing benefits, especially the latter half of last year, as a result of the federal stimulus money and the extra unemployment benefits. Um, because obviously, if people don't buy goods, you know, it's simple economics 101, supply and demand. If you don't demand it, then there's no need to supply it. Um, so our, you know, our, 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 is some of that money that's been infused into the economy in the pockets um, of, of Americans helpful? Uh, to the workers into the manufacturing sector because they're purchasing more goods and able to when they hit a hard time with their own employment. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's that's what's so important about this infrastructure investment um, uh, policies and and laws that we're talking about uh, being able to uh, pass through Congress. It 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 will make our communities safer and it'll also support a variety of of good family-sustaining union jobs. That's another thing. The president's not afraid to talk about union. He understands that the unions help build the middle class. And to be able to get fair wages and decent benefits is important to the economy, important to workers everywhere. You know, And, and part of this infrastructure is so important, not just because uh, it, we need to rebuild our bridges and our roads, but we need to make sure that our water systems are up to date. We need to make sure that we're manufacturing pipes that can replace those water systems. And we're really in many, many cases ready to to start uh, this infrastructure and meet these infrastructure needs. Uh, So as we progress, uh, it's not only those bridges and those pipes, but also internet availability, renewable energy infrastructure, fiber optic cables. All those things are important to our economy and to our infrastructure. And we gotta think about rebuilding them uh, not just um, to make sure we've got uh, safe and, and usable products, but we also need to make sure that we sustain our own economy as well. 
We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of those decisions and policies in the Biden administration. We'll continue with our guest, Vice President of the United Steelworkers, the USW, Mr. David McCall. And you can check out more about the USW and all the things they're doing and involved in. It's not just steel, USW.org. On Twitter and Instagram, follow them there. Their handle is at Steelworkers. We're going to take a quick break and we will be back with Vice President, Mr. David McCall, and me, Leslie Marshall, and you. Don't go away. Quick break, and we'll continue to talk about manufacturing. Maybe you're poised for a renaissance, and maybe we're poised for that renaissance because of the decisions and policies in our current administration. We'll talk more about that right after this. Don't go away. We are back. I'm Leslie Marshall, back with International Vice President of the United Steelworkers, Mr. David McCall. Like I said, check them out on Twitter and Instagram. Follow them there, at Steelworkers, and check out the website, usw.org. Thank you, Mr. Vice President McCall, for sitting with us and staying through the break. Uh, more to talk about uh, with this. Um, you were you touched upon decisions and policies from the Biden administration, and you had uh, touched upon the announcement that the supply chain uh, disruptions, there would be a task force to address the short-term uh, supply chain uh, you know, uh, discontinuities. Uh, how does that, so people that understand and don't work in manufacturing necessarily, they're just a consumer, um, how does that differ from policies and administrations in the past? Well, I think in the past, uh, the problem has been is that when they do start to rebuild roads or bridges or or some sort of other infrastructure, it's open bidding. It's not about uh, necessarily creating jobs in America, but rather oh, let's just uh, see whoever the low bidder is, even if it's a, a cheater that manipulates their currency or subsidizes their industries. You know, one of the most striking things for me that I've seen over the years is, is as you said in your initial introduction to me, I grew up in Northwest Indiana. And in Northwest Indiana, from Northwest Indiana all the way through Indianapolis, there's a highway, Interstate I-65, that runs north and south. And about halfway in the middle of the state is where Purdue University is. And if you drive along there today, between Purdue University, uh, around Lafayette, and north of there, you will see miles and miles and miles of windmills. Uh, mm -hmm. It goes on literally for uh, eight to 10 miles and it supplies electricity uh, to the grid uh, for all over Northwest Indiana. And, uh, and I've been told up until Chicago and those windmills were made and produced in Denmark. Uh, those were good jobs that American workers could have made, but there was never an investment or policy that talked about, wind energy and renewable energy so that people would invest in the United States to build uh, facilities so that we could have those good paying jobs and maintain those good paying jobs in the U.S. And it's just about short term thinking as opposed to what the long term impact is. I mean, renewable energy uh, is something and uh, an EV is something that everybody in the world is looking at um, now and into the future. 
And it's a missed opportunity, again, because we don't have people uh, who care enough about manufacturing America and growing our economy in the long term, not just the short term. You know, uh, when we talk One about of some things- of these when we talk about some of these things that the administration has done, um, their COVID-19 response team has drastically expanded the manufacturing of vaccines and other essential supplies. That enabled more than 137 million Americans to get fully vaccinated. Now we have the Delta variant and the Lambda variant that's coming out of uh, Peru. Um, Do you think that the expanding of the manufacture of vaccines, along with the push from the government, and now we're hearing from more Republican governors and Republican politicians, um, do, do you do you think that there's going to be more manufacturing of, of more vaccines so, you know, more people are coming on board uh, to get vaccinated and, you know, that will create more work uh, as, as well as help people, uh, you know, health wise? Yeah, I, I think uh, it, it, it ought to be obvious to everybody uh, that getting the vaccine and producing the vaccine in this country uh, is an important uh, not just for our, our long-term health, uh, but for our short-term success and long-term success in terms of the economy. We, we've we come through this pandemic uh, n- now with an answer, and, and American people need to stand up and, and need to make sure that we all get vaccinated. And, and I think that's absolutely accurate, Leslie. And, you know, and, you know the, one the, of the things that, that our union... No, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. One of the things that our uh, okay. Uh, I was going to say one of the things that our union has done is is we have uh, recently uh, launched a We Supply America initiative, and we're undertaking bus tours next month to highlight the goods and services that steelworkers are already providing that can contribute to the 21st century infrastructure from making light bulbs and cement and and tin and aluminum products for food applications to tires and steel for bridges and and submarines and shipbuilding, as I'd said earlier. And and we're going to all these USW sites uh, next month in six different states where our members uh, make these products and where we can highlight what's important in in the infrastructure plan in America. And we're also, you know, inviting and having participation with community leaders who share the vision about securing our uh, social and our physical infrastructures going forward. And, you know, we need to have big ideas and we need to move forward with infrastructure and, and with a better economy uh, that supplies goods and services made in this country. Uh, absolutely. Another thing I love that the USW, uh, you know, does uh, as a union and uh, with regard to workers is, um, you know, you guys understand that there need to be raw materials, uh, the raw materials necessary to help combat the climate crisis. And I know the Department of Defense announced an investment in the expansion of the largest rare earth element mining and processing company outside of China in order to provide those uh, materials. In other words, you guys have your uh, finger on uh, the pulse, and obviously uh, that announcement by the DoD uh, that helps with that. That helps with that investment, and again, the I- investment in manufacturing. Yeah, investment in manufacturing and putting policies in place, both physical and monetary policies in place, that allows investors to know that they can invest uh, their money and they're going to get a return on their investment. Uh, and that there's going to be uh, 
policies in place that prevent other countries or other companies outside of this country from cheating. Um, and and when you have an administration that's willing to enforce those common sense sort of issues, uh, it supports our economy, it supports our infrastructure investment. It just makes a lot of common sense. And, you know, that's the thing that people have to remember is we have to think in, in terms of the long-term economic growth, uh, not just the short quarterly fix. Mm-hmm. Uh, and companies have to uh, know that policies are in place for that long-term economic growth. We need to continue to have safe roads and bridges and transportation venues, not just for public access, but also for the production and delivery of products and services, medical supplies and whatever else we need. It boosts the demand for uh, whether it be steel and concrete, uh, both durable goods, or whether it's non-durable goods like paper and rubber and other sectors uh, in between that help secure a good uh, paying family sustaining job. And the thing that people forget and they need to remember is when people have good paying family sustaining jobs, they can spend and grow in the economy. They can also grow the tax base and that tax base that funds our schools, our first responder services, Social Security and other municipal services that we all depend on, it really is a simple paycheck economic sort of philosophy that um, we need to make sure we implement in this country and we maintain it. Absolutely. Um, The administration had a comprehensive 100-day supply chain assessment, as you are aware, uh, for four critical uh, products. Uh, semiconductor manufacturing and advanced packaging, large capacity batteries, uh, those that are used for electrical vehicles, uh, critical minerals and materials, and pharmaceuticals, uh, the ingredients uh, for the the pharmaceuticals. And they're taking immediate action to address those vulnerabilities and to strengthen resilience with the launch of a new effort aimed at addressing near-term supply chain disruptions. Now, you touched upon this before, but I wanted to dig a little bit deeper with this Um, Would you, in your position, uh, Mr. Vice President, would you say that those four products are the most critical area? And, uh, you know, did you know, did you agree uh, with the administration in that comprehensive 100 day supply chain assessment focusing on those four critical products? Yeah, I, I think I think it's unquestionably the smart thing to do. You've got to start somewhere. Those are as good of four items as we can start with. And it also gives entrepreneurs an idea about uh, where they should invest and how should they invest. As I said earlier, one of the one of the shortages that came up very quickly was pharmaceutical vials for the yes. for the uh, uh, for the virus, for the vaccine. Uh, where we had to buy them from China outside this country. We didn't have enough or an ability to be able to make them in this country. Batteries is another great example. Uh, as we go uh, towards electric vehicles, uh, in order to produce batteries and battery casings in this country, again, uh, generally most people understand uh, that they're encased in steel. It's an important product that we make, an important product we can make. We have some companies that are starting to invest in that. And when they know that there's going to be policies in place to do that, both in the short term and the long term, it's going to help grow our economy. Absolutely. Quick break. We're going to be right back with our guests and with you. I'm Leslie Marshall. Don't go away. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. 
Marshall, we have with us International Vice President of the United Steelworkers, the USW, Mr. David McCall. Uh, like I said, check them out on their website, usw.org, and on Twitter and Instagram. Their handle, follow them there, is at Steelworkers. Uh, Mr. McCall, thank you for holding and uh, welcome back. We're going to continue our conversation. Um, you had touched upon, and I wanted you to talk more about the USW launching the We Supply America initiative. Um, and uh, tell us why you're doing this, why you're undertaking a bus tour, um, and you know what the whole We Supply America initiative is all about, what you want people to know about it and to learn from it. Well, it really is uh, our, our opportunity to communicate with not only uh, people in the communities where we live and work, but also with the general public and, and with the administration to let them know that from, from light bulbs to cement to tires to steel, food app for st uh, food applications, aluminum and tin products, to just about anything you can name. Our, our union uh, is a sort of a cross-section of manufacturing America, and we want to highlight that uh, so that um, people know that they can trust us to do it. We can do it right, um, and, and that we need support of of Congress, um, of the administration, continuing support from the administration to bring back our economy and bring back our jobs. What type of support, if you were sitting before Congress next week or if you know, President Joe Biden called you up and said, what do you think I should do here? What do you think I should you know, put out there uh, to the House and the Senate with regard to legislation? What kind of help do the unions and specifically the USW need? You know, that's the, you say, what would we do? What would, uh, what would we say if he called us? I, I know that uh, our international president, Tom Conway, has had an opportunity to talk to people in the administration and the president himself uh, about the kind of things that are important to, to steel workers and, and workers in America everywhere. And it really is about good family sustaining jobs. And it really is about making sure that we have an infrastructure program uh, that continues to highlight uh, the skills and talents uh, of American workers and, and to be able to grow our economy. And look, we don't want to be uh, protectionists. It, it's not about making sure uh, that um, somehow or another we circle a, um, put a circle around or draw the wagons around the United States and Canada and say we're here uh, by ourselves against the rest of the world. Good economic policy involves good fair trade. Uh, so fair trade uh, with other countries around the world and being competitive is important to economic growth. So um, that's all we ask for is a fair shot, a fair deal, uh, and, and to allow our members who are highly skilled, highly educated, to be able to produce the services and the products that we know we can produce. Well, in launching this infrastructure campaign, We Supply America, one of the most significant projects, uh, you know, for the USW, I would say. Um, and, you know, this, as you had touched upon, is aimed at rebuilding uh, the rapidly crumbling infrastructure. 
Do you have, because you said for the past six months, you you know had some optimism and some confidence and like things that you've seen coming out of this administration. You know that whether it's a Democrat or uh, you know Republican in the White House and whether there's a Democrat or Republican majority in the House and the Senate, infrastructure has been kicked down the road, even though it, it benefits politically of the constituents of both left and right, because, you know, it, it would, you know, stop the uh, rapid crumbling infrastructure that we have. And it, it's, you know, a job creator. Are you more optimistic that this will not be kicked down the road and that we will have bipartisan support and an infrastructure deal will be reached to be able to touch upon some of that crumbling uh, infrastructure uh, and, and going beyond just the, uh, you know, old school infrastructure uh, boxes of, uh, you know, bridges and, and roads and going beyond that to, you know, electrical grids or water supply? Yeah, I, I hope so. Um, you know, I, I listened to the president talk about um, doing his, his best to, um, uh, to, to try to get bipartisan support on these initiatives. And I respect that. And I understand what he's, what he, what he's trying to accomplish, but I get so frustrated, uh, with some of the rhetoric that we hear, uh, uh, from people in the minority, uh, who, for whatever reason, uh, just as they did with president Obama, uh, want to just stop, uh, a, a progress from this administration for the sake of stopping progress. It makes no sense if you're elected to to represent uh, your your constituents. It's about improving their life, not about blocking somebody else's. And and the frustration with uh, issues like um, be, you know saying that uh, we got to pay for uh, we got to pay for everything before we can approve it. When the last administration was in, they weren't so worried about paying for it then. They were they were more than willing to give millionaires and billionaires big tax breaks without paying for it. The way you pay for uh, infrastructure and the rest of that, uh, the rest of the initiatives, is to give people good jobs with good wages and good benefits, and they will spend that money in this economy and grow that economy and increase our tax bases improve our schools, improve our communities, and make sure that people have good jobs. That's what stops um, some of the issues that we have in this country, some of the social issues that we have in this country that people uh, can't seem to get over. And and frankly, barriers to progress uh, is, is not helpful in, in Congress. And uh, at some point in time, um, if, if we can't get bipartisan support on common sense approaches to the economy and doing what's right for social and economic justice in this country, uh, then it then it's time that uh, we give up on bipartisan and do what's right. Oh, I agree with you 100 percent. I mean, infrastructure upgrades will make our communities safer. Uh, and uh, this investment, a significant investment, will create, to your point, good union jobs, not just now, but into the future. Who doesn't want to be safer and have more people working, working good jobs, secure jobs, uh, good paying jobs? It, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, how, what politician doesn't want to go home to their home state and district and say, you know, we're, we're going to have, you know, 3,000 more jobs next month, and you're not going to have to worry about falling into the river when you drive over that bridge. The problem is, the problem is, is we've got some politicians that just say that even when it's not true. And, and, and we have too many politicians and not enough statesmen. 
Yeah, very, 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 very true. Um, so, you know, the, another thing I know that you guys, in addition, um, you know, to to this, that you have a campaign, like you know, a second division of that campaign. Uh, reaching out to locals in the USW, starting to identify how can their workplaces intersect with infrastructure. Can you touch upon that a little bit? Yeah, a good example is is uh, you know we're honored and privileged to represent uh, paper workers in this country, uh, and not just uh, the people that uh, run the pulp and mills, but also the people that uh, do the the boxes and and the invoices and all the rest of that. So as as infrastructure starts to grow, uh, our members who who work in the paper industry uh, are also because you you don't get something delivered to your house or to a work site without an invoice in it. Nine times out of ten, it's wrapped in a box or some other sort of packaging um, uh, product that we produce. So. You know, there's there's a uh, effect that goes all through the economy uh, as we grow the economy. I, I mentioned before um, that you know it's not just the sort of the secondary uh, buildups that come from infrastructure, but the importance of of national security. We have plants that make steel for nuclear submarines. Uh, for sh- we make ships uh, in Newport News. Uh, we need to have good, high-quality, on-time delivered steel and steel products uh, for those facilities in order to defend our country, in order to make sure that uh, the, the, the people in the world that have less than uh, honest or, or uh, intentions of integrity, uh, that we have some uh, detriment to uh, their ability to be able to do some of the criminal things that they want to do as well. Absolutely. Thank you for taking the time today. International Vice President of the United Steelworkers, the USW, Mr. David McCall. Once again, check out their website, usw.org. Follow them on Twitter at Steelworkers. Follow them at the same handle on Instagram at uh, Steelworkers. Uh, Again, Vice President McCall, thank you for taking the time on this Friday in the summer. I know you work hard and have a very busy schedule. We more than appreciate you educating us further on what's happening in the manufacturing sector today and what needs to happen uh, going forward. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Leslie, and thank you for all you do. Likewise, you do a lot more. <laughs> I'm Leslie Marshall, Marky Mark Baldi's our executive producer. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. A safe weekend, everybody. And we'll be back with you uh, next week. The following is an advertisement for PwC. We've all been told what one plus one adds up to. But if you bring together the right combinations of people and technology in unexpected ways to build trust for today and tomorrow, then it can be something greater. At PwC, it adds up to The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Come into Bell Tire today. You'll get the lowest tire price, period. Like $70 off a set of four Michelin tires. You'll also get a guy who will give you free lifetime flat repairs, tire rotations, and alignment checks. Get $70 off a set of four Michelin tires plus more free services and more out of your tires and more for your money. It's how we make the lowest tire price feel even lower at 
Bell Tire. See store in belltire.com for details and offer expiration.